Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Nerdful Twang, and it is season two. As promised, we do have some guests here for you today, but before we get into anything, we're just going to go ahead and let you know that Leslie isn't here today, but we do have Lady Shads. Shads, big up yourself now. Hey everyone, feels good to be back, feels good to be on a break, even though it was one hell of a break considering all the things that have been happening during that time. Okay, okay. Good, good. Now, we also have a few guests, and I'm going to just go ahead and go down the line. We have Dav, Devet. Uh, tell us about yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Devet. Uh, I am a law clerk in Ottawa. I've been living here for about 10 years now. Um, yeah, I don't really have much else, else to say about that. <laughs> all right big up you now nadia what do you have to say to the people oh hi i'm nadia i am from jamaica born and grow and i have migrated here since 2017 and i'm in it and i think yeah that's it that's pretty much all about nadia yeah <laughs> all right all right all right and leon tell us about yourself what's up everyone leon um, I've been in Toronto now for um, 18 years from Jamaica. I work in learning and development and I'm glad to be here and a part of the show. Thank you. <laughs> that just sounds like a school's giant quiz kind of intro. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back again. I'll come back again. <laughs> and PG. Hello, everyone. My name is PG. Um, came to Canada when I was a young lad, around seven years old. Right now, I am in the communication field as a manager, and uh, I do a lot of community work. And I just want to say thank you guys for having me on. We're on the topic of Black Lives Matter now. Every Black person has heard it know what the rhetoric is but what does it mean to you is it an organization is it a call to action for black people to start calling out systemic racism as well as point out the fact that black people are actually killed by the police uh disproportionately to any other non-black person and not just in the united states but also here in canada um Nadia, I want your perspective on this. What does Black Lives Matter mean to you? Black Lives Matter for me is Black freedom. And it's for our people not to feel oppressed. I don't want us, I don't want to feel that I'm being followed in the mall because of the color of my skin. If a neighbor called police on me, it's I'm not being treated like my white counterparts. I'm being shown against the wall. I'm being handcuffed and I'm being put in, in jail for like years, probably like days. And I don't want to, my daughter to feel like, oh, my skin is a threat to her, to her, to her school counterparts and everything. So it's more for me, it's more freedom, not feeling oppressed. It's way, it's way more than the whole police brutality. It's more, it's more emotional. It's more frustration. It's more like I am tired of this and I want to feel free. That's what Black Lives Matter means to me. Yeah. Okay. 
Now, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask a couple more people how they feel about this. And I want to start with Leon because Leon um, is also Jamaican, been here for a couple of years. And he's a black male, so he may have a totally different experience from you. And Black Lives Matter could very well just mean something totally different to him. So, Leon, uh, go ahead and tell us what you think of the Black Lives Matter movement. Do you see it as like this huge corp or is it more of like this mandate for black people at this point? I, I know I've been here for 18 years, so I'm sort of Canadianized in my um in my perspective a bit, but um, in terms of Black Lives Matter, I see it as it's a movement to bring forth to the forefront issues that have been affecting the Black um, population for since slavery, right? And, you know, um, our other, you know, other racialized or non-racialized group may not um, be aware of these issues. So now they're, we're letting them know that we, these issues exist. They're, they're in the systems of this, of this country, Canada, i.e. Canada, and we need to address them. And we, we need to dismantle those systems in order for our, um, in order for, for society to see us as Black people as equal. So that 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 is what it means to me is is really a movement to address societal ills against black people. Okay, perfect. So the vet you've been you were born here, you're the most Canadian out of all of us. And you'd probably have a unique experience um in comparison to black men and, and black women who would have, you know, been raised here or they came here after as immigrants. How how do you connect with the whole Black Lives Matter movement? Um, I mean, I remember when I was young and, you know, being like being kind of that token black person. And uh, when you realize you're black among your peers, it's it's kind of like a coming into it and like a and a childhood innocence being lost where you're kind of learning who you are in a different light and something you didn't choose. However, it's a part of your identity. So that was a part of my childhood. And I think my connection to the Black Lives Matters movement would be nothing other than the fact that because of the color of my skin and, and that alone, I became connected to this movement. And I guess different experiences from being like the token black person uh, have kind of played into the person I've become and how I act in certain situations and stuff like that. However, I think everything that's happened recently, uh, it's kind of given an opportunity to start that conversation where there were times where I'd be with my white friends and I would say nothing if they made comments that were inappropriate or you know they were ignorant or something like that but now that the conversation has started the opportunity to keep talking about it is there and to educate other people so right now i'm seeing the black lives matter as a vehicle for change and discussion and and hopefully that we don't have to see the next generation doing the same struggle that we have
Well put. Uh, so, David, you did speak about coming into your blackness and, you know, speaking out. Now that there is a conversation going on, you you, you feel you feel less alone um, to that effect. But um, how do you now bridge that gap with the conversations? Like, what if you have friends, you know, they're your friends, you're their black friend in, in, in quotations. Um, and they want to be an ally. They want to be a part of the movement. How do we start that conversation? Um, you know, I think it, it depends on how you're having the conversation and also kind of the context on the, of the conversation. I have been telling a lot of people time and time again that if if we're going to have any conversation, the conversation that I want to have is like, how are we going to move past this so that the next generation isn't going through this again, you know? But I can't be a consultant or tell you how not to be racist. Like those aren't conversations that I think are necessary for me as a black person to to have with my white friends. I can tell them how, you know, it's it's made me feel, but I really think that they need to look at the systemic racism and and say like, hey, like this is very deeply rooted, and it's not because of black people. So, I I personally advise my friends and people who are close to, so close to me that I call family, regardless of their color, to educate themselves and and see where this is coming from and and why certain people feel this way. And if they have certain biases, then they need to take those unconscious biases and and bring them to light and address them and deal with them. Okay, so with PG and Shads, we haven't heard from Shads yet and we haven't heard from PG yet, but moving to Shads, I want to ask a question because I think we've had this conversation before. Now, whenever people talk about Black Lives Matter and why do Black Lives now all of a sudden matter because we've been killing each other for years um, in in countries that are predominantly black, you know, parts of Africa, parts of the Caribbean. People are killed every day. Um, are these people not black? Do their lives not matter? What about black on black crime? How do we deflect or how do we kind of counteract that kind of um, narrative, Chad's? First and foremost, you know how much I hate the term black on black crime because it's absolutely stupid because white people kill each other, Asian people kill each other, and so on and so forth. That rhetoric has been used for years to try and box us in to make us seem as if we're animals, to make us seem as if we don't care about each other. And there is a whole lot that goes behind when we live in certain communities together. It's a proximity issue. It's also a poverty thing. There's a lot of things behind that. How I feel about BLM, BLM, the movement, BLM itself is technically an organization um, because they are receiving funds from all over the place. they're kind of classified as a corporation. However, to me, Black Lives Matter is something that... Sorry. It's a very touchy topic for me. So Black Lives, for me, it's basically what 
everyone has said so far is just showing people that our lives truly do matter and we as black people have done so much for society in so many different ways we've contributed in we've contributed in allowing people to have rights we've uh, we've created things and the fact that for years for centuries we just keep getting pushed to the side no one cares about um, our presence we're viewed as less than animals their dogs have better rights than most black people that's how ridiculous it is like animals on a whole and it's like we're finally we've been screaming for years and it's finally at the point where we're like okay enough is enough listen to us view us as equal all right all right no pg you've done the outreach work um in in the region of the the country that you're in and you've 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 connected with the police you've connected with people from different communities so the rhetoric of black on black crime i mean i definitely looked at the stats um from the fbi for 2018 and while black people um do kill each other at a, a higher rate in comparison to their white counterparts um there are fewer black offenders who have committed um crimes against black people and funny enough, Black people actually kill a lot less white people than people think that they do. But PG, how do you address this conversation when someone says, you know what, black on, black on Black crime is a thing. Like, why are we deflecting from this? Why are we not talking about Black on Black crime? Why do Black lives only matter when they're like a Black person is killed by the police? Well, I think Chad said it the best, right? And then you just reiterated that it's a deflection it's a way for them to put onus on the black community to say that we're the ones who are killing ourselves. But when we bring it to light that the police and white people are killing black people, it's not about whether or not they're killing us, it's how they kill us as well. And the fact that they kill us with no um, no remorse, they kill us just because of the color of our skin. Um, Black on black crime, or however however you want to label it, I think we can definitely say that is that is something that is um, socially constructed as well. But to stay on topic, um, I think it's important for us to realize that black bodies have always been brutalized, dehumanized, and um, killed and been mistreated for years or centuries, right? So I think it's important that when that conversation comes up where, well, what about black on black crime? We have to stay true to our narrative because if we lend any um, lens to that, then it means that we now lose control of the narrative that we're, that we're trying to um, talk about now is that black bodies do not have a safe space. And whether it be in our homes where an officer can come and kill us, whether it be in a place of worship where a young man, white boy can come in and kill us, right? Or whether it be us just being, doing something that they say that was legal and then have an officer put his knee on her neck, 
right, is that we need to make sure that we are always in control of our narrative and not allow them to deflect, right, as you stated that to the black and black violence. Nicely put, PG, and I love that you were able to talk about that. Now, I know a couple of you guys um, on the actual panel right now have children. And something that my mom actually did for me when I moved here was to kind of give me a, a set of rules to follow. And I think the same rules were in New York, the same rules are here, but it's always to be alert, always to to make sure you're polite to people, not to dress in a particular way. And it goes back to Black people policing themselves. Now, this is open to anyone to be able to answer. Multiple people can can go at this. Why is it that Black people are still policing themselves after Jim Crow, after the Civil Rights Movement, after slavery? Why, were, why are we still doing that? And in addition to us um, going ahead and policing ourselves, why do we code switch? Why do we you know, people have called me a Carlton. Why do we become Carltons in order to fit into white spaces if we do that? I think it's a, it's a survival mechanism, right? Um, <clears throat> I remember just coming here from Jamaica at 17 years old and, and not really understanding what racism was. Not, I, I, I know I tell people a lot of times that I didn't know that I was black. Not that I didn't, don't know that my skin is black, but growing up in Jamaica, we don't we don't walk around telling people, calling them the N-word and so forth. So it's when I came to Canada that that realization hit me. So how do you sort of protect yourself from society that sees, sees your skin color um, as a weapon? So you you try you try and um, as you say um, code switch to to fit in you you try to dress a certain way so that you don't draw attention to yourself you try to speak a certain way so that you don't draw attention to yourself um, and we're still doing that we're still doing that today I still do that today um, because people again I'm I'm six I'm six feet five inches tall um, which is a which can be seen as a threat in itself. So how do I um, be true to, true to myself when I step outside my door every day and not sort of um, reduce who I am to make other people feel comfortable? So it's, it's a constant battle within myself as I go up, as I walk in society because people see me a certain way and I'm trying to I guess, project an image um, um, contrary to that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I'm not quite sure if it, it's a battle that we will win, but um, it's, a, it's a constant battle that we, we, we have to fight as, as Black people. I like that you say we project an image, right? That, but I think we project an image that um, will make those around us feel safe. And um, I think it's time for us to um, take back our identities because yes. <laughs> if I have to go if I had to go back back to 96 when I moved to Whitby um, and I started a school up here, I was probably like the only out of two, yeah, two black people in the whole school, right? And my parents would always tell me, 
um, PG. We don't want you to go outside or we don't want you to go play with your friends because if anything happens, they're going to blame you. But they never went into full details as to the why is that the case. And I remember my sister now, as she grew up, same place, same space, they were a lot more lenient to her when it came to her going out with her friends. And I always argued that, you know what, you're being unfair. Why is it that she gets to go out? Why does she get to dress whichever way that she wants to dress? To a point where I had to make sure, or they made sure that my pants weren't baggy or I wasn't wearing braids in my hair and all these, these and all these things. And then as I got older, I started to realize when I had my first running with the police, when I was just walking home from school, I had these baggy sweatpants on and the guy pulled cross traffic and stopped me. And I was like, yo, what's in your pants? And then he told me to pull my pant leg up and was like, oh, I thought you had a weapon. And it was that realization or that moment I had the realization where, oh, my parents were trying to protect me from the what if situations. And as a young black man, I had to walk the line and I had to walk it better than anyone else. And that wasn't my only time I've ever had running with the police. But I think also when we come into um, code switching, we always try and make sure again that when we're speaking to people, we want to make sure that they don't know we're from, we're black, or even more so, we don't want them to know that we're Jamaican. You know, it's like, it's like a double strike when people even know that we're black and Jamaicans, you know what I'm saying? So um, I think it's something that we we do on a regular basis where we have to police ourselves because we have to um, make sure that we are not seem, seen as um, threatening. But I think there's a point in time where, especially during this time, when we have to stop and say that, you know what, it's the time is now to stop that, right? We can't be um, always questioning who we are to make sure that we make everyone else feel good about themselves. Um, you know, PG, I think you said a lot of really good things there, especially about policing ourselves and how we need to stop that. And I know that as someone who has looked towards advancing their career and their networking and stuff, like I've seen myself in situations where I try to blend in and make it so that, you know, they don't notice that there's a black person in the room, you know, because if they do, then who knows what happened. And that's so unfair how we have kind of grown up with that attitude of disqualifying ourselves before we are actually eliminated and, you know, telling ourselves that our attitudes are too big and our culture is too much. But at the same time, I think there is that, that, that still want to be just, just professional, but, but only, professional in whatever way that means as to do a, a career in that sense, not with a, a loss of your your culture or with the, the motive of fitting into a white space or as or whatever it might be. But I I think the other thing as well is that 
we ourselves need to stop looking at at our black counterparts and and calling them Carltons and stuff like that and and say hey we are a community like we aren't gonna look down on this person because they have flourished in a commonly you know white world like if anything you should be looking to them and saying like hey like you are a, a blank something other than a, a singer and a dancer a football player a basketball player like how did you get there what what can i do to get there as well and and i'm not saying that you know it should be an attitude that's mimicked but i definitely think that we should stop putting down other people for for you know doing what they can in their world you know without the loss of their culture I no, I heard her talking, so I was I want to give her a chance to finish. Yeah. So for me, um, I have a I have had many experience with going on work and travel, and um, since I've in the short space of time I've been here in Canada, but one that really stands out for me is with my seven year old daughter. I had to I had to teach her how to behave. She she was born in Jamaica and she came here at age five, and she she was used to like just a regular like shut up or you know just Jamaican parts were like oh don't do this and or yeah you know like stop the talking and stuff like that. But I remember an incident that she was actually on the school bus with um, a white um, child and apparently she was just saying stop play just stop play with me and leave me alone and he's that eight-year-old see it as being her being aggressive and then the mother didn't say anything to me and then in the morning when we we're all at the, the school bus section putting the kids on the bus she still didn't say anything to me and then when my daughter came home she told me that that mother called the police on her. So that given I have went through the whole thing with my husband and myself, but when you have to talk to a seven-year-old that has not been used to, to say, okay, because of the color of your skin or because how you probably articulate yourself to your white counterpart, they may see it as being aggressive. I had to teach her that and it was very heartbreaking for me because she couldn't understand why did this mother feel the need to call the police on her and she didn't do anything wrong. She didn't hurt him physically. She was just saying, leave me alone. I said, stop. So it's, it's, it's very emotional for me because you know, you have to train them to talk a different way to, to so their white counterpart can feel comfortable or to not feel threatened or not to talk too loud or not to be confident or not to be passionate about something. She has to be like soft-spoken because soft-spoken is, is, shown, is seen as, oh, you're, you're being nice. But I had to teach her that. And also, she was traumatized because she wasn't used to this. 
and the print I had to speak to the principal at that school to give her counseling because the day after that incident, my daughter saw the police and she started running. And I, up to this day, I still have not gotten over it. And it's, it's time for the system to say, okay, yes, you are different and your culture is different and I'm willing to accept you. Why are, as, as, the, as the persons on the panel have said before, why are we are always the one have to conform to what is seen as what is acceptable? What should, how we should act, how we should talk. Why? You know, it, it's, it's very emotional and frustrating for me because I never had to do that back home. But now, being the token black person in my company, I had to conform because my friend who has been here for 10 years at working at British Columbia, he said, never you talk loud. Never you sound like you're aggressive or sound like you're aggressive because you're not going to get promotion. You're going to be the first one to be laid off. So I had to learn that and I had to teach my child and I had to teach my husband. And it's, 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 you're, you're basically losing your identity to me. And that's how I, that's how we have to, ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very emotional for me. So it, I don't know, it, we, we just have to fix it. We have to, it, it has, we have to fix it. It, yeah. <laughs> I just want to jump in and listening to your experience, Nadia, just like really, upsets me because it makes me mad for the same things that you guys said where why should we be setting ourselves to please everyone else and everyone is crapping on us in the process like we can't do anything right and I think it's absolutely disgusting that Black parents should even have to have conversations with their children about how to play a role, because that's really what it is in society to please everyone else. And that experience reminds me of that six-year-old in Florida who had the, the principal had the audacity to call the police on her. And it's like, why? Why can't that be something? Why weren't the parents called? Why can't you have that simple discussion? And I also wonder why people are so quick to call. Their first thing, their first instinct is always call 911, call 911, call 911. When there are so many other resources and numbers out there that you can call other than 911. And I wonder if it has to do with the media and TV movies where it's like every time something happens, everyone's just so quick to call 911. And it's just forced into our brains, this whole rhetoric of black people being a certain way. Oh, they're angry. They're yelling. They're a threat. Oh, they, they're expressing emotions like everyone else. They're a problem. No. And 
a child is a child is a child, regardless of what color of their skin is. And what if he was attacking her? She hadn't, like, sorry, like, it's okay for this child to attack your child and no one sees a problem with that and the cops are supposed to be called for the other way around. I'm pretty sure no one will give a crap. That's how I feel. Because of how we're seen. Why? Why? I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm just so upset about your situation. And it's... These are the things that people need to hear when they have the audacity to say, that doesn't happen in Canada. Like, piss off. Wow. Wow, that was... That's that's really unfortunate. I, I can't believe that kids in Canada have, have to actually go through that kind of thing where cops are called on them for just uh, being children. Did you, guys, did you guys follow up on how it happened or, or anything like that? Did you speak to the parents? <laughs> hmm. I spoke with the mom and she said that, she said her son said that Kiana was shouting at him. And I told her, but he was bothering her. She can't shout. He was bothering her and he wasn't stopping. So she wanted him to stop. Why is, why is that? Why is that something for you to call the police on? Why didn't you talk to me about it? We were at the bus stop together. You could have said something to me. Instead, you called the police on my child. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that that's most definitely something that parents should be discussing with, with each other rather than like bringing law enforcement into that. <sighs> thanks thanks for sharing, Nadia. Really, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> so I'm going to be devil's advocate because I feel like you know someone on this podcast have to definitely be devil's advocate for this conversation. We're all black people, so I'm going to borrow some things from the the Hodge twins and Candace Owens. Um, how do we know it's about race? We kind of have to, like, how how do we know it's about race? How is it not that a mom feels that her son, who, we have to, for whatever reason, uh... threatened by another person, you know, the only other way to solve that is to call the police on them? How do we validate that this is actually a race, a race issue? I just felt so triggered when you even tried to make that point. I just felt triggered. I'm, I'm going to bow to this one. All I'll say, <laughs> this is, yeah, this, that, that question is, is, um, mm, it's, it's, I agree with Chaz, um, but all I'll say is this, um, historically, I think, how do we know it's about race? Historically, how Black people have been treated. So we have the stats, we have the data, we have the reports of, police being called on black people, black kids it, for doing, for living. So I think if we go, if we look at those stats reports um, and, and compare to um, our, our white con- counterparts, we can see that they're treated differently. So I what's know. the common denominator <laughs> is that it's, it's about race. I'll, I'll leave it for, for there for now. <laughs> okay, so uh, Nadia has a seven-year-old. PG has a younger daughter who hasn't started school yet. Now, 
that being said, PG, are these conversations that you are trying to have with your child? Do you think these conversations are necessary? Uh, do you think things will change? Or are we going to continuously tell our kids to to play this game of, okay, you don't shout, you always have to be nice. Um, and I mean, I, I know your daughter, she is the sweetest thing. But how do we tell kids to be yourselves, but then don't be too excited, don't be too passionate? Aren't we stifling the growth of our own children? Yeah. So I think you hit the nail on the head with the last part of your statement is that we're going to stifle the growth of our kids when we do that. Um, Am I hopeful that down the road, my daughter doesn't have to deal with this? Yes. And that's why I do what I do right now. But at the same time, I see the person that she is right now. I see her personality and I'm not going to tell her to do anything differently. And I'm going to be straight up. I'm not telling her to do anything differently. I want her to be her own person. She comes from a strong Jamaican heritage, a strong Botswana, South African heritage. And she's a beautiful Black girl. And if she wants to express herself in a way where if someone does anything to her or is in her space, they need to recognize that this is her space. Um, I remember when my sister was in that same situation, we, my parents, again, other than myself, they never told her the vet, you got to go and do things this way. And she was in a schoolyard, a little white kid came at her and said she was a Jack minor JASS and pushed her and told her that black people look like SHIT, right? So she, and pushed her down to the ground. I always wrestled with my sister. She got right back up. She defended herself. Amen. 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 Right. So I say that to say this, that it's important for us to empower our children to be who they are. Um, I, I will not stand by and allow the system to victimize my child. It's one thing that I may go through it, but my child that's a whole nother story. I'm not going to sit back and say that, oh, well, um, you got to you gotta speak okay to little Karen or little Darren and all this stuff because they get up, they'll get afraid or they'll be afraid of what, um, how you say things, right? Because I think at the end of the day, it's not for us to teach our kids how to behave. It's for those who are not Black to teach their kids how to treat people who are different from them. We can't always be the ones teaching our children or controlling ourselves on how to behave in this society, point blank. To all of it, I'm so happy that was your response because that's exactly how I feel about the entire thing. It is not our job and we should not be stifling our children to please anyone else. Let them be their authentic self. So... I appreciate it. I love it all. Hallelujah, hallelujah to all of it. All of it. <laughs> okay, sister. Sister Chad, this is not a come to Jesus moment. This is not a come to Jesus moment. This is not an altar call, okay? 
yeah I, I think like what yeah like for what pj said um like for me i was like okay because i'm like i'm from a mother i'm scared but my husband he's like listen if i have to go out there and fight for my daughter and take a bullet for her for standing up for what she believes in i'm gonna do it and it's like i think for him he's he doesn't want to conform because he's like those rugged Jamaican man that like, listen, my load, my out there, I'm going to have to talk. I'm going to want nobody to tell me how to talk and how to act. So, yeah, well. Am I the you, only one that just pictured a man in like a mesh cut off with jeans and you're a right on point. <laughs> you're, you're right on point. <laughs> and he's, he, wait, he's the only black person at his company and he's like that. He's like, listen, am I idiot to know? Me not follow what they must say. Me, I do my own thing. So I am more from like, from a mother, like, oh, I don't want my child to be hurt. But he's like, he's more radical. He's like, listen, I'm going to war for my child. I am going to battle it out. I am, if police coming, I am going there with him. And, you know, if it comes down to bloodbath, I don't to happen. But I have I am I have a different opinion about all of that. So see, I think yeah, I what kind of different opinion, but I guess I don't know. Yeah. I'm more like I don't want no one to hurt my child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important though that there's a there has to be a balance, right? Um of course daddy's gonna be this way and mommy's gonna be one way, right? But I think at the end of the day, we both, as parents, as a cohesive unit, right, we want to protect our child in every which way possible. As a father, you want to do the physical aspect of it. As a mother, you want to do the nurture aspect of it, right? But I think if we work cohesively together, we're still protecting our child any which way, shape, or form or possible, right? For me, as I said, I do what I do right now because I don't want my daughter, I don't want my little niece, nephew friends of friends kids to go through anything that what we're going through now or what though or those who came before us but i told my wife maybe i think it was just the end of last year that if my daughter came to me and said daddy i'm gonna go do a b and c on the road because i don't want to sit down like you did i'm gonna say baby let me go get my shoes and i'm there with you because it's important for us to be there for our children to to make sure that they 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 have their own voice, their own identity. And again, as you said, Chad, it's about being your being their authentic self. You know, and that even that's even something that I'm even coming to now, even in the workspace, right? Is making sure I'm my authentic self. And it's too long we've hide behind a mask. And it's time for us to come from behind that mask and do what is right. And I don't want to throw no shade against nobody else. But I think it's um it's one thing being black, but you see when you're also Jamaican, it's a whole nother story because we don't stand for foolishness, right? And it's seen in our in our nature that once you cross the line with us, that's the last time you're gonna cross the line. Yes. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Hallelujah, 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 I think y'all have seen way too much belly, way too much shatters, way too much third world cops. That, that, that's all I'm saying. But go ahead, Leon. <laughs> but, but yeah, I was going to say, I think what PG said is important in terms of us as Black people reclaiming our voice. And, that, and that's, you know, it's kind of like unlearning some of the things that we've we've learned that's that's not good for us. And it's a process that, you know, I've been going on over the last few months because of this experience of that's, that's happened in the States where, you know, I had to speak up. I'm in an organization that's, I work in in the post-secondary sector and it's not very representative of the student population. And we say, you know, we have statements saying that we're for diversity, but you don't see that diversity within the upper levels of the organization. And I had to really say, you know what, I'm reclaiming my voice and I'm going to speak truth to, to the issues that, um, that I, the systemic issues that I see within this organization that I don't agree with. I'm not going to be the token black guy anymore that, that's, that, that, Cops my hand and say, "Okay, massa, that that's gonna stop." So, it's important for us for us as Black people. And again, being Jamaican, it's you know being outspoken. They when I start, I just look back at when I started college and how you know being in student politics and how I used to speak and people look and be like, "Wow," because that my 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 I had a title of being in pol in student politics. So. Um, when I speak, people listen, but now I don't have that anymore. So all I have is my black skin, but I decided to reclaim that voice. And I think it's important for us as, you know, as black people to, to not let what, what society ex, expect of us to, 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 um, to change who we are as a people. Now, Lee, you, you said something that was, I want to say pivotal to what we're about to discuss. Now, we live in Canada, and one of the things that Canada boasts is multiculturalism. And it's something that we're very proud of. We'll say, you know, we're not America. We're, we're so different. Like, everybody's here. We, you know, we have two official languages, but we have, like, over 100-plus languages spoken here. But when we look at management of companies, when we look at crime, there, there's something just absolutely wrong and how do you have the conversation around you know people saying especially people who don't face racism themselves and there's actually something called called the model minority (laughs) which um asians south asians um maybe some filipinos fall under well filipinos are asians regardless but there's a there's this model minority and black people for whatever reason they don't we don't fall under that that being said, do you think the movement, um, the Black Lives Matter movement in Canada, while we didn't have a George Floyd or a Breonna Taylor or, no. or even an Ahmaud Arbery, do you think that based on the movement happening in the U.S., 
that there has been a shift in Canada with change of policies, no. uh, thought processes? <laughs> has it affected Black people and not, other racialized groups here? That's, that's, that's a, you, you have a, we need to unpack <laughs> your, your question there. Um, I think we are being, it's kind of like, you know, you, you, in Jamaica, I don't know, in Jamaica, you're sleeping and your parents throw water upon you because you're in the bed too long. I, I, Canada is having that moment right now with where we're being woken up because um, of what's happening. I don't. I think we have a long way to go in addressing these systemic issues. We're still, we still we still it. see politicians tweeting and making statements such as we don't have systemic racism in Canada. Like, like really? Like, like really? Like for me. Like for me, like I go back and I talk like over the last couple of weeks, I've been on Facebook, but I decided to go on, go on, go back on Facebook. And I started just posting about Canadian histories to educate or inform um, my Facebook quote unquote friends about Canadian history. And one particular person that I, um, I, I really like is um, when you go back in history in the you know, 200 and something years ago, she died. Her name is um, um, Maria Angelique. And th- she was hanged in Montreal, um, old, old Montreal in, in um, 18 something, right? Her story is not told, right? So, and there's more, there's so many more Angeliques out there, Maria Angeliques out there that their stories are, are buried in the history book. So, until we uncover these stories and bring it to the bring it to the forefront, and and let um, and teach a, a revised history. Let's not forget about the our indigenous brothers and sisters that you know the residential school. So um, we we want to dust our our sweep all of these under the under the mat to say that we're better than the states when racism is is hitting us in the face. I mean, Leon, very good point. Very, very good point. But I mean, I could always argue because I've been in meetings where people have said, oh, I didn't know this was a problem here. Because if you are a person who is unaffected by racism, if you if you're a group of friends or you belong to a particular racialized group and all your friends are a particular way or they look just like you um, and you're not black, then you probably don't see the anti-blackness. You don't see the racism or the microaggressions. So there are people who can argue that Canada does not have racism because they haven't seen it for themselves. Uh, 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 (laughs) I feel like some shade was thrown in that and I just want you to know that it was received, but okay. Sis, it was not about you. I swear to God, it was not about you. It better not have been. It better not have been. Season two, you really want to start that way? I'm ready. I'm ready. Fist in the air. Joking. I don't... Oh, God. I don't, like, like, uh, oh God. For me, for, for me personally, 
to answer your question, Francois, you know, um, I don't, I don't think it's that they don't know that it exists. I think they do. I, I really feel that they see it, they hear it, and I don't know if they just turn a blind, I think they turn a blind eye to it. I think it's not, and for me personally, I'm not educating nobody about racism. My white counterpart, I'm not educating them because the Google is there. Thank <laughs> you. I mean, Google is there and it's what, it's what, it's, is what is happening now because recently um ottawa ottawa school catholic and school board and the other other board other people board them so they are they want to stop policing within elementary school and high school because it's a case they're saying that black students are four times more likely to be fall into the youth justice system versus the indigenous people. So it's not like they don't know that it's not there. They just don't care. They just don't care. That is how I feel. They just don't care. So. I will say there are some, cause no one has been so bright and out of order to come and say, I had no clue this was happening because I would have directed them straight to Google, straight to all the news articles, because I am not the one. But I have had people who said, like, it's not that they don't care. It's that a lot of people found themselves in a situation where they felt that by staying out of it, because it wasn't, they didn't feel like it's as if it were their um, battle to fight they felt that being silent would have helped with the situation, but they're coming to terms with that and realizing that by staying silent, it has it's actually made it worse for everyone. And so people are realizing that, no, being silent is not the answer. You have to be speaking up. You have to be saying this is not right and calling out people on whatever injustices they're uh, doing whatever racism whatever discrimination is occurring like silence is not the answer so there are some people who genuinely are ignorant there are people who really don't care to do the research because they really don't care and they're the ones who realize that they do care and they've always cared, but they weren't doing enough. Again, I'm here throwing shade, being devil's advocate, because everybody here is singing Kumbaya and everybody's happy and, you know, everybody's no, sharing. But I had a conversation with... Kumbaya? Everybody seemed to be on the same wavelength. I'm about to throw you guys in. <laughs> Well, a curve ready, ball. No, I mean, I had a conversation with um, a white ally, and one of the things that I had the conversation entailed was <laughs> cancel culture. And I think a lot of, of white people are terrified of speaking out about black or racialized issues because they're afraid of being canceled. Because when they speak, they're not speaking from a place of experience. And a lot of it has to do with reading and listening to black people. And let, let's just call a spade a spade. Every person doesn't have the same 
perspective of things. Not everyone will write objectively. Not everyone will speak objectively. So a lot of white people are terrified of being canceled for speaking out. Additionally, something a, a, a white counterpart said to me is that how how do we help? Because I want to be an ally. I've read on allyship, but then there's some black people who are saying, "Hey, shut your mouth, don't say nothing." For 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 people who are listening who are not Jamaicans, um, they're basically saying to be silent. You know, read, go read something. But how do we? bridge that gap because one set of people are saying go read another set of people are like ask questions like we'll we'll answer those questions for you so how do we determine how we're, we're, we're building allies because if we're saying be silent and go read and they read the wrong thing and they speak about it then it becomes problematic because we're not having these conversations with them so how do we build that 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 base of allies because in order for for any civil rights movement to be successful there were white allies. So how do we now build these this new base of allies without telling them to shut up? I'm not answering this one. I'll let someone else do that. But they've also told people who weren't Black Canadians and African Americans to shut up is not their fight. Uh, they've told people from the Caribbean to shut up. They've told people from Africa to shut up. I'm just putting that out there. But I'm not answering this one. I'll let someone go first. So, um, Francois, I, yes, I agree with you that there needs to be allyship. However, I think it's also important for them to understand that the allyship that at least I would see, would want to see, and I'm going to speak for anyone else, but what I would want to see is for them to educate, to learn and educate their inner circle, the people that they share a dinner table with, the people they go to church with the people they share a carpool with, the people they go to work with. That's what that allyship should look like. Because I've seen too many times where allyship, as you want to call it, that they want to speak on our behalf when they've never experienced what we've experienced. And to me, you got to cancel that. If you want to talk about cancel culture, no, it's not about that. You don't need to speak on our behalf. We know exactly what we want. We know what we need and we know how we want it. And we know how we want to deliver it to our community. If you want to be an ally is learning and seeing, like taking off the, 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 the blindfolds, unplugging your ears, actually looking and seeing what's happening, what's transpiring, what has happened in the past, what's happening now and speaking to those who are in your circle, right? Because I don't think at any given time you should be speaking on behalf of a Black person or a person of color about their struggles and their um, their hardship. That's all I'm going to say to I, that for now. I agree with, with PG in terms of, you know, what is, what is true allyship, right? And we have to sort of, it's a learning process. There's a lot of white people that have never been engaged in this conversation about racial injustice, right? So we have to give them um, the opportunity to engage with us. Like I've, I've, I've told my white friends, you know, ask, ask me questions. You know, it's, we are friends. And I know that you want to learn, you want to be an ally. So the questions that you have that you may not want to go out there and post on 
Facebook or Twitter, um, ask me and be open to hearing my 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 feedback. Again, being ally, a true ally, it's not you know performative allyship, which is I'm just going to go out there and post things on social media to say I'm an ally, but when you're in back to what PG was saying, when you're with your your friends and when you're in the boardroom that there's no racialized voice there and they're talking about racialized issues, you don't say anything. You don't say, well, you know what, my friend Leon is actually the best person to to talk on this topic because none of us have that perspective. So true allyship is really a high, heightening the voice of of um, black people and staying behind and sometimes it's 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 being um calling out your people calling them out when they're doing things that um you know is wrong okay 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 i i like that i like that you have decided that you know what i'm a safe space you we can have this conversation together and um, a, a lot of people need that. A lot of people need people who are safe spaces cool, to bounce ideas <laughs> from. So definitely, thanks for doing that because a lot of a lot of people listening today, they want to hear that they can go to their their black friends and have these conversations, as long as they're not like shads, you know, because you know she 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 iggy, she very ignorant, you know, she costs you, but as long as they're not like shads. <laughs> yes, but sir. you know guys it's it's been a great conversation and i want to close the conversation today pg you had something to say but my question is is that um why now why are you just asking to be allies is it because of the social media sandstorm is it because everyone is talking about it and i think it's very important that we ask the right questions as to why people want to do it now, because just like anything that comes, it goes Amen. and it can be a fad. And sorry, I'm just going to say this one last thing. When you started to see the police officers start to kneel and all that stuff with people. Right. And then an article comes out a week later. Oh, you know, I'm sorry that I knelt with the protesters and stuff like that. One thing I've learned from the Bible There's is that not everyone who sit and eat at your table is always going to be for you. They'll betray you with a kiss, right? So I think it's important right, to ask the question, why now? <laughs> right? It's why now? It's always been happening. And we can't, just like we cannot give an excuse for who we are, right? They can't give an excuse for why now as well. Right. So I mean, I don't know why now. I don't. I'm glad you brought that up to PJ because a lot of people have been asking that question where it's like, are these things have been happening to us for centuries? It's not something that happened overnight, and everyone's having this come to Jesus moment about it, and they're turning to us for all the answers. Like, no, all truthfully, every black person has a different experience. Like that's, that's, that's the reality. So somebody can't come to me, for example, and ask me 
about every black issue because I can't tell you just like they can't go to Dougie about it and so on and so forth. There are, to be fair, I mean, there are, there yeah, are some stuff. people like, I vet my people. I'm very picky with who comes All into right. my circle. And thankfully, Everybody the people I have in my circle who don't share the same skin color as me have not had the audacity to come to me because they already, they're already bought it. And they don't deal with none of that crap. So, but a lot of these people need to go pick up a book and go check the internet and stop asking people questions just because. Because we're not a black square. We are not a black square on Instagram. <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. That is true. No, I'm not like... Um... <laughs> Okay. Okay. I think it's not, well. It's not that. It's just that. Like I have a a coworker, and she there's a there's a social injustice, racial injustice, injustice thing that she asked me to join on Facebook to give her my opinion and give my inputs. Cause white her white counterparts want to know what black people go through, and I'm like, listen to me. That naga at me, you know. Because you need to go Google. <laughs> you need to go Google, go Google it. It does not happen. Of course, she not understand the patois. But I said to her, like, listen, I'm not doing that. Right? So, I mean, if you want to join the group, the Facebook group, go ahead. But I, I think it's something that you should research on your own. If you really want to find out what we go through every day, do your research. Don't come, don't ask me for going on a Facebook group for go give my opinion what black people go through. Like, what? So, <laughs> and then when PJ said, why no? I mean, I've had this conversation with big my husband. Big up yourself, daddy. Like, yeah. A long time. We have talked about this a long time. A, a numerous time we have done protests, riots, and everything. And it's only black people marching. Not everyone wants to join into the march. I just feel it's just a facade. Until I see some changes, then I, when I would believe when you come out and say, listen, I am with the black people. I am here for the black people. I would believe you. Other than that, you're just talking. I don't want, I don't want to see no mouth. That is just mouth talking. Want to see change something do something small change something towards something yes what for something that <laughs> yo boy Francois, make sure make sure at that point when nadia finished talking though you get the on though you know because that was that's a big thing right there. just you know let's get a little yo straight solid thing nadia <laughs> <laughs> wow, spoken like I. Wait, wait, wait there, wait there, wait there. Point of information because Nadia, you sound like a real Jamaican. But David was about to tell something, you know. David was about to tell us something. So David, go ahead. <laughs> oh, my microphone's still on. Um, so <laughs> go ahead. David. I actually thought it was really interesting what uh, Chad said, and especially how she described it as like a, 
uh, a coming to Jesus moment, you know, like, and, and even if you were to look at it in that sense of like, you know, how people come to Jesus and do so in their time and, and get there. But the difference with, with this and is that people, and, and in my opinion, and I don't, I don't want to just like, like dumb it down to this. Cause if I do so, it's not in my purpose to, to make it seem like people aren't caring and, and finally just got, got it in their heads that, that killing black people in the streets is wrong. But in my opinion, I truly believe that because of COVID, because we were all sitting in one place, couldn't go anywhere, we were tuned into the news, and the only thing that was on the news was COVID. And and here enters George Floyd being murdered in the streets, and it's the only thing that takes over the news more than COVID. So here we have all these people who are in their homes, sitting there, it's on their news, it's on the radios, it's wherever they go, it's in the conversations they're having. Like People who are, are our age and are our peers are starting to say, yo like this is going on and now we're talking about it and they're talking with their parents and realizing oh my gosh my parents my grandparents my aunts uncles my some of my peers like they are huge racists so like that's why i i believe that the conversation is happening so strongly right now is that you know it's that social media bombardment uh do i think people are getting a little bit more empathetic not necessarily but i i think it's in their faces and and whether or not you know yeah what pg said was right you know the bible does say that not everybody who kneels with you is is with you and, and someone can't betray you with a, a kiss but i think we're at a point now where we're having this discussion and this is the first time that i've had this discussion with my black peers in this kind of setting where you want to to put it out there and educate other people you know these these things weren't happening in my life before and i don't know how frequently it was happening for other people but i think we've been we've been introduced to this catalyst which which was george floyd's death and and now we have that opportunity to to look at what we have and see where we can go forward and weed out those people who who aren't really truly for us and if anything like because of the circumstances under under which this is happening you know i think to make this a catalyst is the only way for us to to try not to make george floyd's senseless death be in vain <laughs> I'm actually sorry I wanted to hop in. I'm actually really glad you brought those points up and mentioning COVID and how this pandemic has played a huge role. And I've actually had that discussion with people where this pandemic, this virus happened for a reason because it really, truly made people, a lot of people have been like reevaluating their life, um, how they do things, how they function, et cetera, et cetera. And I strongly believe if we weren't in lockdown, if we weren't having this pandemic, if we were going about our daily lives, nothing's happened. So people wouldn't people care. Would this whole movement would not be happening right now. It'll just be another name on the list of many. 
That's what it would have been. Yeah, because people have more time. Like a lot of people aren't working. A lot of people aren't going to school. Um, we spend so much of our time on social media. We're more aware because what else do we have to do? So people are finally paying attention. Yep, I agree. Yep. Well, and even just look at the format of this discussion here, right? Like, you know, I'm in Ottawa, PG's in Whitby, like Chaz, Nadia, like Francois, Leon, I don't know where you guys are, but far this in. discussion is happening. Yeah, far in, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but even just being able to make this happen because we, through COVID, we're exposed to to using technology and logging on and putting your headset on and, and having a conversation and using a connection that we weren't necessarily utilizing before. So yeah, like Chad's is right. Like this pandemic has made a lot of people slow down and reevaluate, not necessarily boredom, but say, yo, like what truly matters to me? I, I can be at home and I can order whatever I want on Amazon, but nothing matches being close to people, nothing matches these discussions. Nothing Jeff is canceled. Canceling Jeff. We don't do Amazon. Oh, <laughs> I, I actually don't know. Support black business. Wish stocks oh. just went up. <laughs> just because of that comment. I'm not sponsored. <laughs> That's funny, but you know what I mean. Like you have every single thing at your at your fingertips, but nothing has well, beat these million. kinds of conversations. There's no thing in my life that's going to beat the fact that we came together and had this conversation about our community, what it's like now, and what it can be like. So no, people aren't bored. People are just spending more time on the things that matter. We're not bored in the house. In the house, bored, doggy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it begs the question, to your point, and Devette and Chaz, it begs the, the question, COVID, I am assuming COVID won't be around forever, right? Um, so will once then our society goes back to quote unquote normal, what will happen then? Will we, will they move on you know will the black squares come down off social media will the the diversity statements on comp on these companies website be taken down and then we're back to business as usual and we're still fighting to 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 be who we are in society you know leon i think that kind of goes back yeah. to what i was talking about before where you know I truly believe that it's up to us to figure out who is in here for the long haul and who is who is just here for the the fan base and because it's the newest fad to put Black Lives Matter on a t-shirt, you know, like you and I who are truly tired, who don't want to see our children, our, our friends' children, our nieces and nephews doing this over and over and over again, and, and maybe even more violently where we don't want to see them come home or don't like want to see them not come home to us after you know wherever they may be you know we don't want to be repeating this so i know that i personally am committed to to 
making sure that this isn't the norm for me. And and personally, I would like to be in a position where I can find those other people who are committed to that as well and who, who aren't just here because COVID. You know, also, Leon, you said, like, will we or they go back to normal, right? And whether or not the they goes back, it's important for the we to continue to fight. And because of COVID and because of what has transpired, the door is now wide open. And it's going to be impossible to close it if we don't continue to walk through it and demand what it be equity, equality, um, inclusion, justice, whatever that looks like, right? Um, I had an opportunity to speak to a black officer and I asked him, how are you feeling during this time? And he said, yo, to be an officer and to be black, it's hard. He's like, I love seeing the people out there, but he's like, what happens if this is, he just feels like a part of this is just sensationalized, right? But what happens when at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock at night, someone calls and says, yo, we're coming together, we're mobilizing, we need to discuss the next steps. Are you going to be there? Because it's not only just the um, white community, it's people within our community that were never there are now here, right? But Morning, once no. things are go back to some sort of norm, normalization, right, or normalcy, <laughs> will they still be here? Because that's when the real fight begins. That's when the real struggle begins. It's not always just about a protesting. It's about us actually saying, like, you know what? We got a platform now. Let's move forward. And that's where it starts. You know, and this is where it also starts as well in these conversations, right? Are we just having this conversation and not to call nobody else, but are we having this conversation because of, you know what I'm saying? Like, it has to be that after this is all said and done, that we're holding the fire to these um, these corporations, these different organizations, the, the different establishments, right? We cannot, we cannot stop now. What's, what's the saying back home is that fire bona most must tell them things are cool breeze, right? So you we have to keep it. on holding the fire to their tail. They may think it's cool breeze, but yo, we're ready to burn things down. <laughs> I'm always saying, um, <laughs> okay, master, right? That was PG, but you know what I mean, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, when, when I say in that form, I'm just saying right. that we need, right? We need to make sure that. This is not just a moment. This has to, we have to continue it when everyone is said and done because it's going to go from 100,000 to maybe just 1,000 people fighting. But are you still willing to do the fight nonetheless? Um, and that's what I would challenge people. Yeah. And on that note, guys, I mean, it was a real conversation, but I want to end it right now. And I think, PG, what you just said was the right amount of everything really to to close the podcast i just want to thank everybody for being a part of this it was important that we had black voices different perspectives being here for a different number of, of years actually um share their pers their their perspectives of, of what's actually happening right now so to everyone who stayed up and listened to this to everyone who is on my panel today i want to say thank you for coming out and uh, hopefully we're able to continue this conversation, not just on Not Little Twang, but in our schools or churches or offices. Um, 
that it doesn't end with this podcast. It doesn't end with this pandemic or with George Floyd, but it's a continuous conversation. So until next time, walk good. Big ups. Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring with the harmonies of liberty Let our rejoicing rise I as the listening skies Let it resound